if you read the Gospel of Luke, um, tells the story of Jesus. At the start of his ministry, um, there's this occasion where he goes into the synagogue, the local synagogue, and he picks up the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, this um, part of the Hebrew scriptures that was a, a prophetic message that had been written centuries before. And he reads these words to the audience. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And um, this is a familiar passage, perhaps we've been looking at it quite a few times over the last few weeks. And today I want to particularly focus on the words, he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. When I first encountered the vineyard, um, one of the things that really drew me in was the way that this was evidently a church that sought to love the poor. Um, and that was because growing up, that was always something that I'd sort of, I'd been sort of like taught that that was an important thing to do. I grew up um, in a council estate near Luton, um, an area where there was quite a lot of poverty. And so people on my street, friends that I grew up with and played with um, who didn't have much. And at times, it was just heartbreakingly sad. I vividly remember this one time when a really close friend of mine, his mum, died suddenly. And um, his dad came round to see my parents uh, a day or two later because he was then left with four kids, an unstable income, and he didn't have enough money. And he asked if, if they could help him out. And he explained, you know, our dog, I'm going to have to get rid of our dog because I can't afford uh, dog food. And so my dad, uh, I remember him giving him some money, and he said, look, let me pay for the upkeep of the dog. Um, the kids have just lost their mum. They shouldn't have to lose the dog as well. But for whatever reason, um, he didn't feel able to accept the offer. And I remember my dad making me promise not to say anything to my friend about it. Um, but I remember him coming round a couple of days later and just sobbing and sobbing because the dog was gone. I was fortunate to grow up in a household where we always had enough. Um, but I saw enough to know that poverty's not good, it's not fair, and invariably, it's not the fault of those who experience it. I remember there was this other um, person, a young single mum who didn't have much support around her down the street who my mum befriended. And uh, she would come and knock on our door a few times a week sometimes, have a chat to mum, and mum would just talk to her, give her some advice, befriend her. But invariably, before she left, mum would fish um, some money out of her purse or give us some, give us some, a couple of cigarettes because she couldn't afford cigarettes. In fact, it got to the point where if she knocked around when my mum was out, my sister and I were conditioned to just go and fetch some cigarettes for this lady and give them to her. Now, I'm not suggesting that you train your kids to hand out tobacco to people. That's, this is the 80s, okay? But I think the thing that I'm really grateful for is the way that my parents, and particularly my mum, instilled in me this sense that behind the issue of poverty are human beings. And that's why I love that, you know, the vineyard, since the days of John Wimber, um, we've sought to be a, a movement of churches that, in his words, remember the poor. And so today I want to look at what it means to be good news to the poor. So um, just to look at this phrase, good news to the poor, when Jesus says the poor, who is he referring to? It's probably worth answering that question. Because, of course, there are many types of poverty besides material hardship. You know, people who live in relational poverty and are lonely. Um, and that's important. But I really believe that at the heart of this message lie the materially poor, the hungry, the thirsty, the destitute. And I'm inclined towards that view, um, partly because, as I said, Jesus was reading from the passage of a passage in Isaiah. Um, and care for the poor is one of the clear themes that runs throughout 
Isaiah's prophetic message. So for example, in chapter three, verse 14, there's a warning to the wealthy who have plundered the poor to fill their homes with luxuries. In chapter 10, verse two, there's a warning to those who've written unjust laws to deprive the poor of their rights. In chapter 14, verse 30, God paints a vision of this future time when the poor will have good land of their own. In Isaiah chapter 41, God laments the thirst and the deprivation of the needy. And then famously in chapter 58, verse 7 onwards, he, there's this time where he gives, he rebukes the nation of Israel for the times where they've practiced kind of like surface level religion and neglected the poor. He said, is this not the type of fasting that I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke and to set the oppressed free? So it's a theme running throughout this message. And of course, this emphasis of loving the poor is not unique to Isaiah. It's all over the Bible, um, full of references like this one in Proverbs chapter 31, 8 and 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and needy. And what's interesting is if you look at this passage here, Nowadays, in 2023, um, this message is not a controversial message. You know, politicians either side of the spectrum would agree and get behind that message in lots of different countries. But in ancient Greco-Roman culture, this wasn't necessarily the way people saw the world. Whilst poverty was rife, it's estimated that between 60 and 80% across the Roman Empire lived at or below the breadline. There was a common belief um, held across society that those who were economically poor were somehow morally deficient, kind of like responsible for the situation they found themselves in. For example, Aristotle, the influential philosopher, had wrote that those who want to be magnificent, this kind of virtue, shouldn't waste their money on things that are unimportant, like the homeless. And so when Jesus turned up and he started saying stuff like this, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God, it was quite a radically countercultural message. And it was intriguing. People would be like, what do, you, what do you mean? Why are the poor so important? And what is this good news that you have for the poor? I just want to look at that phrase as well, good news. What was the good news? Well, the, lang- the, the, the word good news that we read in Luke's gospel is the same thing as the, as the phrase gospel. They're basically the same thing. They mean the same thing. And when, when people talk about sharing the gospel, um, often in Christian circles, we're referring specifically to an explanation of what Jesus achieved through the cross through the resurrection. And however, however, I would suggest that whilst that is indeed at the heart of Jesus' gospel message is good news, um, when Jesus uses the phrase good news in this context, he's describing something that's even bigger and even more holistic than that. Like I said, Jesus was reading from Isaiah. We need to remember that. And Isaiah, this prophetic message, contains, it contains Isaiah's definition of what good news meant. And it's this incredible picture. So we see an example of it here in Isaiah chapter 52, where he says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. And then this is what the good news is. Who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, the nation of Israel, your God reigns. And so the good news that Isaiah is describing here is this announcement that their God reigns, that he's the king, and he's coming to establish one day a kingdom where there will be peace and where there'll be salvation. And as you read through Isaiah, he kind of fleshes out this vision of this this kingdom. And it's this incredible promise that one day God was going to establish an era where there will be justice, righteousness, abundance. There'll be an end to the oppression of the poor. 
an era that benefits all of God's people and the nations beyond. And importantly, embedded within this promise in Isaiah was this idea that the kingdom would arrive in the future and it would arrive through a person, an anointed one, a Messiah. And so that's the expectation. That was the hope. That's the vision. And so do you see the significance of when Jesus then turns up in the synagogue and he, and he rolls out Isaiah and he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Everyone was like, is he saying what we think he's saying? It says, as he read that, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And then he sits down, he drops the bombshell. He says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And then just a few verses later, he spells it out even more clearly. He says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. The good news is that the long-awaited king is present, that this era that God promised is arriving. And he's present not just to the rulers and to the authorities and the special people, but also, and perhaps especially, he's present to the poor. You know, think about Jesus. Remember his life? He was born into poverty. He was the baby in a manger, wasn't he? He spent time as a refugee as a child in Egypt. And then he grew up as a carpenter's son in this economic backwater of Galilee. Paul later said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Jesus hadn't come to hang out with the rich and the righteous of Jerusalem, but spend time amongst the poor, the sick, and the rejects. He'd come to be present to them and to bring them relief and care. And just think, that's exactly what he did with his life, didn't it? You think about his, the miracle where he, fee, he fed everybody who was present so that none should go hungry and everyone would have enough. He instructed in his teaching, his followers, he said, you know, if you've got two sets of clothing and your neighbour hasn't got any, give them some. And he said, if you're hosting someone for dinner or a banquet, don't just invite those who can afford to return the favour. He said, instead, host and feed those who cannot afford to pay you back. The good news of great, just amazing, wonderful news to the poor was that God's kingdom was arriving in the person of Jesus. And as the kingdom arrives, clothing, food, shelter, abundance arrive at the same time. But for Jesus, this good news for the poor went even further than that because not only had he come to relieve the symptoms of poverty, he'd also come to address the root causes. Um, he hadn't come to trim like the branches of poverty. He'd come to swing an axe at the roots. Those behind, you know, anyone who was sort of represented a system of oppression, those were the people that got the harshest words from Jesus. He called Herod a fox. And then to the Pharisees, he fearlessly challenged them. He said, now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. And he continues further, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Another root cause of poverty at the time was ill health and injury. Because, you know, there was no welfare system in the ancient world. And so invariably, if you were sick and unable to work, sickness invariably equaled poverty. And once again, Jesus had good news about that. Do you remember when John the Baptist's followers came towards Jesus to ask how things, you know, what's going on? Jesus said, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. See, these, all these healings, they weren't just about physical relief. 
They were also about tackling a root cause of poverty. It was about restoring and renewing people to the human dignity to live the lives that God intended for them. So, just as a recap, when Jesus said good news to the poor, it was this incredible message that God was becoming present to the poor. And with him, he was bringing relief and care. He was attacking the root causes of poverty and he was restoring and renewing people to the lives that they were created for. Great. So, got that picture? Is everybody with me? So if we're now in this current time asking the question, so what is the good news for the poor now? It's the same stuff as what just came up on the screen. It's, you know, because we're commissioned to, do, to continue the work that Jesus began. So first, we must become present to the poor with Jesus as our example. Um, I, I was in contact this week with a couple of members of the church, Lindsay and Steve Cressy, who are currently based in South Sudan, working with a humanitarian organisation called Medair. So they know a bit about this sort of stuff. And they shared this insight with me. They said, in international development, there has been a lot of assuming and not much knowing of people. Lindsay described a, an experience that one of her colleagues has, had had working in another context, where she was... Um, supporting refugees who were fleeing Myanmar. And so she was stationed at this resource post and she had her official humanitarian list of all the things that these people needed so that she could tick them off as they came through. But the list that she had was completely out of date. And so in this particular situation, what it turns out what they needed was charge points for their phones and top-up credits so they could contact family members. And she said their real needs weren't understood, so we weren't even giving them the things they needed. And she said... And Lindsay, who has also worked here in a food bank locally in Nottingham, she continued, in Nottingham, we may think we know what a homeless person needs, but it's only through getting to know them thoroughly and properly without judgment that you're able to help them. Their needs might be complicated, with tons of barriers and obstacles which are not known or, importantly, appreciated by us. By knowing someone, we can love them well. And that ties in, you know, exactly with the, the, the lessons that we've learned through Trent Compassion over the years, serving the city through, take for example, the ministry area of the soup run. Um, for years, teams have gone out each week to share hot drinks and food with the homeless community. But the truth is, now it's got to the point where actually there's quite a lot of food provision or there's enough food provision in our city. And the thing that we have learned is that though, though that food and that hot drinks are still gratefully received, the thing that perhaps is valued most is that relational connection. The emphasis has increasingly become on spending time with the people who we're meeting, chatting one-to-one, -one, getting to know their names and being present. And for many of you who are part of this church, you'll, you'll know this because your work, your life, your calling um, involves being present to people who are experiencing hardship, hardship. Many of you work in social care, in the public sector in the way I was chatting, public sector in some way. I was chatting to um, a prison warden just before the service, a doctor, nurses, social workers, teachers, organisations that come into contact with vulnerable families. Some of you run businesses that give people opportunities and training and a second chance. Others of you might live in high poverty areas and you're present with the people around you seeking to love and care those that are in need. Now, others of us may not naturally find ourselves rubbing, rubbing up against and finding ourselves in the presence of the poor and those experiencing poverty regularly. And so we may not see it in our day-to-day -day lives, but the reality is, it's here. It's here in Nottingham. Um, the, 
data from the Office of National Statistics um, reveals that something like 45,000 children across Nottinghamshire, that's the city and the borough, um, are, are living in poverty. 45,000. Out of three, in some boroughs, it's nearly as many as half of the children. Out of 317 districts in England, Nottingham has some of the highest levels of deprivation. We're ranked 11th. Homelessness is getting worse in our city, and there's just so much need. It's here. And that's one of the reasons that we have centralised projects like Trent Compassion, so that anyone who is part of this church who wants to be present to the poor can get involved and do so. And as they do, like Jesus, bring relief and care. Apparently there is something like approaching 200 of you in the church who are on one of the many Trent Compassion teams, from household furniture to um, household and furniture provision, debt advice, advocacy work, and on and on. With, and there's many more of you involved in the prayer and support networks associated with this. And together you bring an enormous amount of relief and care to our city. It's wonderful. I was um, talking to Bryony, one of the team there, and she summarised the clients that have been referred through to us in, for practical support just in the last um, recent period. She said, just today, we have someone leaving prison, an elderly person moving out of a hostel, refugee families, someone expecting their first child, a family moving into council accommodation, a family fleeing domestic abuse, a vulnerable adult living with elderly family members, and a few who are having to move due to relationship breakdown. This is Nottingham. This is our city. She said, nearly everyone referred to us is in need of a bed. We make up bedding packs to send out with our beds. The teams have made up over 300 of these bedding packs since September. And as well as this, they do toweling packs, cooking packs, dining packs, and newborn and expecting parent packs. I was chatting to Hannah, um, our compassion pastor, and she told me about one of the team who serves on this team, packing up these household packs, somebody called um, Witness. And um, apparently Witness often comes to serve straight after, serving, after, after working through a night shift. She comes to Trent Compassion and she's making up these packs. And recently Hannah was just chatting to her and commented that it must be hard sometimes to be involved in this practical work without ever actually handing the stuff over and meeting the people that we're seeking to bless. To which Witness replied, not at all. I know that I'm called to do this and I trust the Lord to get this stuff to the people that need it most. And she said, I just am called to be the hands and feet of Jesus and that's what it means for me. I love it. Witness by name, witness by nature. Um, another um, thing we can do like Jesus is attack and go after the root causes of poverty. A few years ago, I read um, a really interesting book called Toxic Charity. If you've not read it, it's worth a read. Um, and the basic gist of it is that sometimes we in the West, in our sort of efforts to be charitable, we can end up doing things that don't actually help the poor. Uh, in our strategies and our endeavours, we can tend to focus too much on treating the symptoms of poverty as opposed to going after the root causes. And that's partly because, you know, our compassion, you know, our good compassion just wants to see people experience relief. But also sometimes it's because we want to just see a result and we want to feel a bit better about the situation. If we don't actually stop to address and understand the causes of poverty, though, the problem is that once that temporary help subsides, we are left feeling like we've done our bit and the people that we've sought to help are back where they started. 
Another example that, that Lindsay shared, she said, I remember hearing this story during the Haiti crisis where plane loads of, um, of people arrived on the scene to rebuild schools that had been demolished in the disaster. And said, a journalist noticed a group of men sitting down by the road just watching and asked why they were not involved in rebuilding the town. And they replied, we're not needed since other people are flying in to do that. It's easy to remove the dignity and responsibility of people to be involved in their own solutions to problems. For years and years, international work has been done by someone to someone else. Now we are learning to work together more. And it's the same here. We too can fall into this trap of thinking that just because we're resourced, we know best what people need. But actually, we can only really understand that we get to know them and understand the root causes. And that's something that we've very much been on a journey with as a church. As Trent Compassion over the years has grown and evolved through being present, through seeking to bring relief and care, and through getting involved and participating in things like Nottingham Citizens, Trent Justice, we have learned to understand better the needs of the poor in our city and partner with other organisations so that we can play our part together with others in, in being good news to the poor. And so we're able to kind of work with other agencies together um, and celebrate stories. of Another guy heard a story about a member of the church who back in 2016 was homeless and addicted, um, but um, he, he found his way into a Christian rehab where he got clean. And he, he came into this contact with this church through that and uh, stepped forward housing, were able to get a, temporarily a roof over his head and step forward employability, will then help him to set, discover his strengths, regain his confidence, set some goals and seek some employment. And now some members of the church who um, are sort of pioneering a letting um, business that's specifically aimed to help people who otherwise would struggle have got him into a property and he's continuing on his journey. And so holistically, we're working together. That's what it means to be good news to the poor, that those living under the oppression of poverty would be restored to the identity that God has for them, free, fulfilled, empowered. So just to close, how can we be good news to the poor? If you're asking the question, so what can I do? I would ask you, can you do these things? Can you become present? You know, this might be as simple as just stopping to talk regularly to a homeless person that you see on your commute and um, rather than just rushing by, getting to know their name, getting to know their favourite drink, their favourite sandwich and sharing something of yourself, your name. Begin to build that relationship. Or there might be somebody who you live near or work alongside who you know is experiencing financial difficulty in the midst of this um, cost of living crisis. It's being present. Yeah, and as I said, I know that some of you, uh, many of you, are present to people who are in need through your work. And I just want to acknowledge um, that there is a cost to that. I want to acknowledge that, that being present in that way is tiring and reminds you that you know, even Jesus got tired by meeting this endless demand of the needs of those around him. You may feel worn down, but I believe that the Lord would want to affirm you in what you're doing if you feel that way and refresh you in the compassion that ultimately comes from him. It's his grace that's flowing through you. And I would also want to encourage others who perhaps aren't in contact with the poor in the same way, 
ask you the question, can you support those who are currently present? For example, if you've got somebody in your small group who works in a sector like that, like social care or something like that, why not have them share a little bit in small group what it's like and what they're up to, if you haven't done this already, and commit to praying with them and supporting them on an ongoing basis? Another question, if you're asking, what can I do? I'd say, can you go after a root cause of poverty? You know, with some of the big issues that are going on, it's, it's easy to feel powerless to do anything about the root causes of poverty. But remember, we have access to the Lord in prayer, and we can lift these issues up to the Lord, and we can also use our voice here on earth. We can do things like write a letter to an MP, campaign, or sign a petition in relation to an issue that we have convictions about, like, like um, child poverty or immigration. Now, with these kind of issues... We have to you know, understand them properly. We have to learn, do our homework. We have to have informed opinions. And we have to be driven, ultimately, not by our political convictions or who happens to be hosting Match of the Day this week, but our understanding that everyone, no matter their circumstances or how they came to be in them, is a child of God and worthy of dignity and respect and provision. Another way to address the root cause is to support training and education. For example, through child sponsorship with a charity like um, Love the One in India. Um, I heard that they've got, I don't know if this number is exactly correct, so forgive me if it's wrong, but maybe 200 children awaiting sponsorship. Or one of the other overseas projects that we partner with in different countries, Zimbabwe, Ghana, and so on. Or for some of you, to be part of the solution, to be part of being good news to the poor, the next step is to get involved in Trent Compassion. There are so many areas to get involved in. Compassion Prayer, Fostering Adoption Support Network, Step Forward, the Overseas Ministries, Prisons, all these different kinds of things, um, as well as the Attic Shop team that prepare and sell high-value vintage items that have been donated to raise funds for the beds and the basics. But one thing that I particularly want to highlight today is in the arches, our furniture and household provision. Right now, those teams in particular, people like, do you remember I told you a story about Witness? People who do that, and also particularly the van team, that's where our capacity at the moment is constrained in terms of seeking to bless the city. Those are the teams where every pair of hands at this time um, makes a massive difference. And so if you'd like to get involved in that, just head over to the Connect area after the service, or if you're watching online, you can go to the Trent Compassion section of the website, and there's a little form you can fill out if you'd like to express an interest in getting involved. Great, so that's everything that I wanted to say in this sermon today, but I just think before we go, I'd love to just pray through that passage that I read at the start, that Jesus said of himself, and I'm going to kind of like flip it around um, to, to sort of like commission us to be part of being good news to the poor.